The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella. It is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is a pleasure to be joined by my co-host, drumroll, 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 Zach Sloan is here. Hey, Zach, how's it going, my man? I'm doing so great. Um, there are many, many, many singer-songwriters that you'll find on Twitter, many, many great ones, and... Plenty of them have a lot of talent, but every once in a while, you find somebody on Twitter who's not only a singer-songwriter, who's not only immensely talented, but has a very rare quality that you'll find on Twitter, and also happens to be a really nice person. A nice person in a platform like Twitter that is just a a cesspool of the least favorable people that you're going to find on the internet, but Zach Sloan, just an oasis in this desert, such a nice kind person who's fun to be around and i'm so happy to have him on the show this week hey zach man thank you for the kind words i that's actually my twitter handle it's or my profile says nicest guy on twitter thanks to quote from you my man (laughs) i'm so glad to be anywhere on your twitter account um (laughs) but i want to give everybody an opportunity to find out a little bit more about you as a creator to you know give you a chance to flash those creator bona fides for the listeners and the viewers before we get into today's proceedings can you tell everybody a little bit about your music about your sound sure uh my music sounds like the boss taught matchbox 20 how to fight it's a classic <laughs> rock with some with some pop sensibility hey and true story that pitch of like the boss taught the top match trucks when he had a fight that came from this podcast years ago when you had Laura Allen on the show, the pitch girl. And I've used, yeah, I've used that ever since. Um, and there's, I have a whole other story. I can tell you another time about that. Cause it's kind of longer, but that's, that's what I sound like. You can find everything at zacksloan.com. That's where all my socials and music and stuff is Z A K S L O A N. Well, in addition to the many things that are worth digging about you, Zach Sloan, your music, just how nice you are on Twitter, how great you are at just absorbing all of the great information that's out there for indie artists. I'm always hearing you bringing up a tip about, you know, from somebody say like Laura Allen, who's the expert on music pitches. You're great with that. Another thing I like about you, and this is just a treat for the viewers this week. Look at this cool studio setup you got behind you, man. Like, what what are we looking at here? I see the sweet guitar collection. Uh, you got some cool stuff over there on the right. I see your piano. Can you give us like a thirty second tour of just this beautiful palace you got rocking here? This is where, if you go on Spotify, I mean, I do records for myself. I've produced other artists' records. Um, this is where we do it. We do it down here in the basement of my home. Technology is a marvelous thing. I've got about ten guitars. My wife says I have enough. I'm like, eh. A uh, couple, couple keyboards, a piano upstairs, and a big tall ceiling room to record piano that way too. So it's it's glorious. You get drums in the back over there; they sound good. Were you always producing out of this room, or was this sort of a pandemic motivated thing that you kind of moved everything home? So I did my first record out of a one bedroom apartment uh, set up in the uh, kitchen because that's where the vocals sounded the best. Always, uh, always. But then, you know, my wife and I bought a house, and we found this one at the basement, and I was like, can that just pl- – you can do whatever you want the rest of your house. Can I just please have the basement this to is make the music? And she's like, cave. And she was like, oh, you mean so you won't be singing while I'm trying to watch TV? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, so, yeah, so I got it. That's what it is. So if I look at the rest of your house right now, I'm just going to probably see some, like, well-furnished domestic paradise, but then I'm down here in your – basement i get the zach sloan production phil specter wall of sound yeah. cave it is uh yes That's... i don't know if i go as far as phil specter but i appreciate the reference uh, just i wanted to make sure i was as musty as possible there to just completely <laughs> alienate any gen zers within a thousand miles of this live stream <laughs> so in addition to you zach there's also one other really awesome person that i'm excited to bring on after the commercial break and that is our guest for, and for somebody like you and I, Zach, who work in the music industry, she, especially in the indie music side, she really needs no introduction, and that's Arielle Hyatt, the, the queen of PR, founder of Cyber PR, author, blogger, podcaster, always has great advice for indie creators, and is really just a true champion for indie artists. You must adore her, right? 
I mean, I have her book at my desk, so yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was a desk reference. Yeah. No, I do. I, I adore Ariel, and a lot of the way that she approaches getting your message out in a way that makes sense that for you as an artist, not just like as a musician, but for you as a musician, I've taken to heart. And I've referred uh, lots of my, my people I've worked with to her, her email list, her website. Her, she, she's fabulous. You're right. She needs no introduction to people like you and me. And if you're a listener and this is your first interaction, you're going to love her. Yeah, she's and she's been in the game a long time. Just you know, so many indie artists she's helped. I I run into artists just on the other side of the country who I've never met before. I've never heard their music before, and I say the name Ariel Hyatt to them. They know who it is right away. Oh gosh, I, I have CrowdStart. I have her book. I, I I'm on her email list. I've learned so much from her. Or you know, I knew somebody who you know interned for her, or she ran one of my PR campaigns. I mean, I, I hear yeah. these kind of Ariel Hyatt stories all the time, and so I'm excited to have her on. We're going to get as much free advice out of her as we can, and she's got a big announcement for us, Zach. Uh, She has a cool initiative that she's going to be rolling out on this show. It's really our first ever premiere that I don't think anybody's ever premiered anything on our podcast before, and the fact that Ariel Hyatt's going to do it's kind of cool, so that's all coming up after the commercial break. Dude, you're breaking news last week. You're getting a premiere this week. Break the business podcast, man. You're going yeah. global. I'm telling you. So it's just, I mean, between between you know breaking this huge news that we're going to have this week, and then last last week's broken news, and then uh, you know that that weird voiceover thing I did two weeks ago. Just, <laughs> I mean, just a lot of revolutionary content coming out of break biz, break the business lately, and we're pretty excited for it. Before we bring on Ariel, I want to talk a little bit of news with you. Um, Tell me, Zach, that you have already, like me, listened to the entirety of the new Taylor Swift Fearless re-release, uh, just top to bottom, track one to track like 30. There's so many tracks on this album. Yeah, I was like, did she? She doubled the size of the original record. It's a, it it's like. a, it, it is a, a, a king-size offering. It is huge. I don't remember that many tracks being on Fearless back you know, in 2000. Uh, three or whatever that album came out i don't know whatever uh it it sounds great and i gotta tell you what i like i think her vocals as she's actually aged have matured and sound better now than they did then um and i I mean the production quality is fabulous she's taylor swift she's a fantastic songwriter and if you guys out there want to hate on taylor you're just jealous i wish i could write songs like her Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it sounds great and i think i'll tell you what power to her as an artist doing her own thing and being in control of her own music now, because I can't imagine what it would feel like to have somebody rip my master like she had. No, I'm glad you brought this up, Zach, because the 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 fearless re-release that dropped this past week and just you know just basically made me completely worthless at the office this last week. Is all I've wanted to do is just listen to this album over and over. And yeah, as you noted, hear her sort of put a more mature spin on some of these old songs from 10 or 15 years ago. And hear her attack these songs with a more mature voice. I love it. I love it. But what I love as much as the album itself is the story behind it and just this amazing tale of music industry empowerment. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the background of how all of this came to be and what inspired Taylor to re-record her masters. But I want to get I want to just start everybody from the beginning of this just marvelous, marvelous story because it fits right in with the Break the Business brand of indie music empowerment, artists taking control of their own work, and just and just artists having the power in this industry. Because as Taylor Swift example shows, the music industry in its best incarnation should be the artists having most of the power. The you know, I, I tell artists all the time, you could take Everything, you know, the whole structure that's been built in the music industry, record labels, publishing companies, uh, iTunes, Spotify, all of it, entertainment lawyers like me, you could take all of us away tomorrow and there's still a music industry because there's still people that create music. There's artists like you, Zach, but you guys are the only indispensable part of about the music industry and yet we still have an industry where creators don't have full power and what Taylor went through in the beginning of her career for, for the uh, 13 years since she was signed uh, to her first record deal is an example of just how crazy it is that the people who are responsible for the music industry existing, the creators, can lose power. So I want to take you to um, 13 years ago, all right, 
a, a young ingenue named Taylor Swift is just 15 years old, uh, much as the song uh, of a similar name would suggest. 15. Mm-hmm. You know, back when, you know, somebody tells you they love you and you're going to believe them. Cause, and and, and in, in Taylor Swift's case, Nashville label Big Machine told her that they would make her a star and that she would have all the power and she was going to believe them. And so when she was 15 years old, she signed with this Nashville label Big Machine. Smash cut to 2019, 13 years later, 13 years later, she's still under that first record deal because record deals last forever because they're based on the number of albums and who controls when the albums come out, the labels. So it takes her 13 years to get out of that deal or to get to the end of that deal, which is already bonkers enough, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, like the funniest story I like to tell with this is like this actually happened on Break the Business like two or three years ago where I, I was doing a news story with uh, with Dave, the co-host. And I said um, that Kelly Clarkson was getting was uh, was done with her American was done with her American Idol record contract. And Dave was just like and he actively pointed out, he's like, wait, Kelly Clarkson just got out of the American Idol record deal that she signed when she won American Idol back in 2002 and she's only Mm -hmm. just getting out of this deal now yeah so anyway Taylor Swift is is finally at the end of her deal she has she has served her time and you know she right at this point she's ready to move on from a traditional label deal to something more artist favorable right she's the most powerful person in the music industry at this point she has moved on from the traditional label model where she's under a label's thumb she wants something more, but what she also wants is she wants the ownership of the six albums that she made under Big Machine, as, as it is often with the case with many, many record deals. The artist doesn't own the master they create. So if, you know, if Zach Sloan's under a record deal and he's the one making his records, he doesn't own those records. The label does. But at this point, Taylor wants those records back. And so she goes to Big Machine. At this point, she's, I think she was worth like over $200 million in net worth. So she could make Big Machine a deal and get her master's back. But Big Machine's label head, Scott Borchetta, who I often have said has the music industry name that the sounds most delicious. I, I, I defy you to find a record <laughs> executive that has a more delicious sound. Like, like, Borchetta sounds like something that, like, if you had an Italian grandmother, if she, if, if she called you up and said, Zach, I'm making Borchetta tonight, you are canceling all your plans and getting over there. No question. You know it. <laughs> so, Scott Borchetta obviously does not want Taylor Swift, who is basically 99% of Big Machine's revenue, <laughs> leaving. And so he tells her, I'm not going to sell you your master's back at any realistic price. And according to Taylor Swift, and, we, and this part's in dispute, but according to Taylor Swift, the deal he made her was, I will allow you to earn your masters back one at a time. Resign with me, resign with Big Machine, and for every album you make, I'll give you one of your original six albums back to you. So it was sort of like an indentured servitude. That was the only way he was going to give her her record back because he wanted to keep her under that label thumb. And then what he eventually does, and this isn't in dispute, is he winds up selling Taylor Swift's catalog to a uh, group uh, affiliated with Scooter Braun, the uh, music manager who is affiliated with folks that Taylor Swift, let's say, doesn't have the best of relationships with. Kanye West, for one. So, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, imagine, like, you know, Zach, you know, a label owns your masters and then decides to sell them to just your worst enemy. Not that I think you're capable of making any enemies, Zach, but, you know, hypothetical. Let's entertain it. <laughs> um, I got a few. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, and, and so, right, so he sell, sells the masters to Taylor Swift. At this point, she's never going to get them back. They've been sold to somebody who is fully intending on making a lot of money off of these sound recordings. These masters are valuable. You're talking about songs like... 15, You Belong With Me, Teardrops on My Guitar, Shake It Off, just banger after banger that somebody else owns. And so anytime that music is played on Spotify, anytime that, mu- that music is synced in a motion picture or a television show, the owners of those masters of those copyrights and those sound recordings are making an incredible amount of money. So, in tr- and, and this, so now we smash cut to today where Taylor Swift engages in I mean, it's just just a flat-out gangster move. Just 
amazing, shrewd, brilliant move of saying, okay, fine, you're not going to give me my masters back. I'm going to re-record every single one of them. And the Taylor Swift fan base that loves me and is devoted to me and will you know, run into traffic at, at my command for me is never going to listen to your masters again. Even if, like, safe to say, Zach, even if the, the album that she put out today, the re-release of Fearless, even if all of the recordings that she did, the new recordings, were terrible, the Swifties are still going to listen to them and never listen to the original masters again, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, now, lucky for her, they're amazing masters, of course. Like, the, the recordings are yeah. amazing. So Taylor Swift is not going to put out subpar music. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Uh, uh, well, I think we lost Zach there, but but you're oh maybe not taken that her fans are dying. I'm back. <laughs> hey Zach, you there, man? I'm back. Internet, why? I was just praising Taylor Swift. <laughs> You take it. You're the pro. You just you tell this story. My internet doesn't want me infringing on your time. <laughs> Man, and, and you had this you had this look on your face that was like this whatever we couldn't hear what you were saying, but we knew it was poignant. But right, she is re you know, she so so she's starting by re-releasing her 2008 Grammy Award winning album Fearless, which came out this week and is awesome. And the reason, and, and so I think it's important to talk about why Taylor Swift was able to do this, right? A lot of people are asking on the internet, well, if, if Big Machine owns the Masters, can she just re-record the Masters that somebody else owns? And the answer is, uh, for two reasons, the answer is yes. One of the reasons is because of the fact that even though Big Machine, or now uh, Scooter Braun and his group, owned the original Masters, Taylor Swift wrote the original songs. And so she is able, she is permitted to re-record them in uh, different versions as much as she likes um, until the end of time. And she knew this and is, is taking full advantage of this. And also the way that copyright law works is you generally can't infringe on a sound recording copyright unless that recording is basically identical to the original recording. Right. So even in the case of these Taylor Swift re-recordings, that kind of sounds similar to the original Masters, right? She didn't take them off into like a completely different creative direction. We didn't get a reggae version of uh, any of these songs. You know, even though they sound kind of spiritually similar, you don't infringe on the sound recording copyright unless it's identical. So she was able to do that. The only thing that she had to wait on was something in her record deal called a re-recording restriction. And this is important. When you sign a record deal uh, and you are the person who wrote the songs, the record label does not want what happened here, where you just re-record the songs immediately once the record deal's over. So many deals have what's called a re-recording restriction, where you have to wait a certain period of time after the records come out before you can re-record them again. And, and so Taylor Swift had to wait until that time was up. And I'm guessing we're not going to see some of these later masters until the re-recording restriction is up for those later masters. I've never seen her record deal, so I don't know what that timetable is, but I'm guessing her, I'm sure, very well-compensated lawyer has already walked her through what the timeline has to be to make that happen. Now, here's my concern, Zach, is now that this has happened and basically because Taylor Swift was so gangster, like she has just made Scooter Braun's masters that I'm sure he paid an exorbitant sum for completely worthless. Nobody, no record executive wants to become the next version of this, right? So now I'm, a, I'm fearful that future record deals are going to have much longer recording restrictions now. 10 years, 15 years, because they're going to want to make sure that this never happens to them. And that, that concerns me as an entertainment lawyer. And I think other entertainment lawyers are going to have to really scrutinize future record deals and make sure that artists aren't being deprived of the ability to re-record their own songs. I agree, and I think that is the biggest fear I have out of what's going on now. But on balance, I feel much better about Taylor Swift setting an example for artists, taking the reins, and showing, as you said, she is indispensable. Her record company is not. Yeah. And I hope that that spirit of empowerment ripples through the music industry, because not only did she pull this move, 
But part of the thing she was angling for in her dealing back with Big Machine was, okay, if, you, if the money's going to be this, I remember reading about how she wanted to have other artists on the label start making more. Yeah. <laughs> and Ta- Taylor Swift has proven not only to be talented, but to be, I think, one of the, one of sort of the, uh, the, I, I want to say leaders really in the entire music industry for artists generally. I mean, of the many reasons that this podcast is just a huge Taylor Swift fan club is exactly what you mentioned. Not only is she very talented and not only is she a shrewd businesswoman in the entertainment industry, but the fact that she uses her power in a way that empowers other creators, there's a lot to love about that. I remember when Apple Music came out, when when that platform first dropped, and they were saying that they weren't going to pay artists their full share while they were doing this, like, free subscription period or whatever. And then Taylor, all Taylor Swift had to do is, like, do one tweet where she was like, I don't like that very much. And all of a sudden, Apple Music's like, okay, yeah, we're not going to do that. We'll pay the artists. Sorry, your highness. Well, and we see this from other in other areas of entertainment, right? Like Dave Chappelle did this with the Chappelle Show on Netflix. When Netflix bought the rights to Chappelle Show, he just did a stand-up special. And he's like, "Hey guys, will you please not watch it until they start paying me?" <laughs> and his fans did. And then now it's back on Netflix because they're paying him. Yeah. And Taylor Swift is, and you know, she was doing this. I think even before Dave, because you know she was re-recording this record. I'm sure it took some time. Yeah. And it's just so nice to see, honestly, to to see her get one over on him. It just makes me happy. It warms the the deep darkness of my heart. Oh, who doesn't love uh, record executives just uh, getting put in their place a little bit? I mean, that's you're absolutely right. That that kind of stuff just, just it, we, we can hook that to a turbine and light my ring light right now. And, and just, it makes me very, very happy. And you hit it right on the head there, Zach. Like, artists can do this because... For the two reasons you mentioned, one, they're the only indispensable part of this industry, right? They're the only things that can't be replaced, and there's power in that. And two, artists control the fans. Gen- you know, you're the ones that you're the one that has the relationship with the fans. You're the one that's cultivated that bond. And if you can build a strong enough fan base where those fans are sticky and those fans worship you, yeah. all you have to do is point them in a direction. And they can be mobilized to do the things that are going to be better for you and better for other creators in the industry. How can you not love that? It's fabulous. And I'll tell you, and you can look back on the entirety of her career and see how she started cultivating that from day one. You would hear the stories of Taylor Swift just calling people from her fan club just because, bringing fans over to her house for listening parties before the record was out. It's She has built this up for the better part of two decades. And more power to her. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah. And believe me, I'm not just having us worship Taylor Swift uh, just because you, know, you, you might accuse me of worshiping Taylor Swift, because honestly, every time we have Taylor Swift as a topic on this podcast, uh, all the Swifties like mobilize around the show and retweet the crap out of it. And all of a sudden they get a bunch <laughs> of new listeners. But that's not why I'm doing this. I promise. She's really, really worth celebrating. Uh, speaking of artists that are worth celebrating, uh, Zach, before we came on, you were telling me about this band, Float Like a Buffalo, that has a really cool pandemic touring strategy right now. Can you tell the listeners and viewers about this? Okay. A, full disclosure, I love this band. Float Like a Buffalo, it's a Colorado band. I've been listening to them for a while. Last year, these guys are on an upswing. They sell out the Gothic Theater. I was at that show. It's a They play Red Rocks. Amazing. Pandemic hits. Tour's over. What do you do? And I think, I think, now I don't know exactly what the decision was. I should ask the guys. I know them. But there's a feeling in my head of like, how much momentum am I going to lose? So these dudes are like, we are an incredible live band. Let's get back to our roots. They just start playing shows on lawns, in driveways. It's on Facebook Live. It's on Instagram Live. You can go. You could, if they, they would tweet it out, you could just show up at the house and stand in the street if you wanted. <laughs> and they just started doing this over and over again. And I started tuning in, and I'm watching, because these guys are killer. We're talking about a seven-piece, seven-member, nine-piece band, because a couple guys play multiple instruments, getting out there and just throwing down in some dude's yard. And that's like the indie spirit that just can't be crushed, because these are guys who are not going to let the pandemic derail their career, because... They were making some noise and still are because nobody forgot about them because they're being nimble. And I know you talk about that a lot. Yeah. Another thing I've talked about 
on this podcast in terms of touring strategy that I've heard a number of artists on this podcast talk about as something that's really worked for them is doing a house concert tour, right? Yeah. Instead of trying to fill traditional venues, uh, have one of your super fans host you at their house. You invite a bunch of people. You usually don't even have to charge a door charge. Generally, you just put out like a, a jar and all the people that are there usually fill that jar and, and that winds up being a big night for you. We've had guests on this program who will do an entire house concert tour going all over the country, staying at people's houses and performing. And unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, house concerts tended to go away with them because you couldn't stay indoors. But I like this model because it still theoretically allows artists to do the house concert tour. It's just that the house concert takes place in front of the house instead of inside the house. And, uh, and it's, it was genius. I mean, because nobody else, when I first tuned in and saw them doing this, I was like, I've never seen that before. It makes so much sense. They're just a funk, a funk rock band grooving in some dude's driveway. And it's dope. Yeah. And there's uh, the spectacle of it too, right? Because you're saying that people yeah. will tune in on Instagram Live and be like, is that funk band playing in some dude's driveway? I got to check this yeah. out. And, and so if it, you're it in looks Boulder cool on social media. Yeah. Maybe you show up. If if I saw, if I got on Instagram and they were playing in, within 20 minutes of me, I would go. Like, yeah. I would just, whatever I'm doing, I hop in the car and go. Well, everybody's going to love and that. Who's not going to love that? Right. Oh, yeah. And one thing I wanted to tack on to your uh, house concert. Uh, point. A good friend of mine who uh, has guested on one of my records named Ann Luna, her band has made a living for years doing house concert shows and it's turned into to quite the lucrative thing for them too. So as we're opening back up, you know, I think artists should also be mindful of those house concert opportunities because they are fantastic. House concerts are so, so great. And it's definitely when things return to some semblance of normality, it's definitely something artists should look into. We've had a bunch of artists Talk about their experience with house concerts. I mean, Ann Luna is doing some great stuff, as Zach Sloan said. Jessica Alossary, who we've had on the podcast a couple times and who famously made me cry on my own Break the Business Telethon last year. That was fun for everybody but me. Um, she, she is great with the, house concerts. The Alossoraptor. The Alossoraptor, yes. <laughs> the al um, yeah. The Alossoraptor. Yes. Old school, baby. Yeah, we, we coined that nickname for her. I don't think it caught on, which is a shame because it's just a marvelous nickname. But she's done. And so if you go back to old episodes of Break the Business, you can find Jessica Alossary talking about how she has just mastered the art of the house concert and has had a lot of career success with it. And I love the outdoor front yard house concert. I feel like that's a win for everybody involved, except for the homeowners association will probably hate you. But, you know. Who cares? We don't like homeowners associations anyway. You know how they sidestep that? Uh, they do it during the day. They're not at night. Oh, so you'll oh. see. It's it's brilliant. Like every, the more I thought about what Float Like a Buffalo was doing, the more brilliant it became. Because it's like 2 o'clock on a Saturday. What are you going to do, call the cops? <laughs> like the kids outside are, are loud too. <laughs> I mean, they, they you can tell that these, these guys thought this through to the T and just sort of pulled it off. And, you know, much like with Taylor Swift, I'm quite impressed. I dig it. Um, I don't know if you know their their Twitter handles or their email address offhand. If you want to, if you want to publicize this band at all, I kind of want to learn more about them. Yeah, it's F it's, on Twitter. They're F L A B three o three. So Flab three o three, which is float like a buffalo, and then three o three for the Denver area code. Uh, but they are a great follow on Twitter, and they are a great band to go check out. If you like funk rock, you're gonna love them. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Ariel Hyatt coming up next after the break. Don't go anywhere. Keep listening and watching to Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida.
Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest coming up right now is a celebrated music publicist and the founder of Cyber PR. Find out more about her work by visiting www.cyberprmusic.com. So thrilled to be welcoming Arielle Hyatt on to Break the Business. Hi, Arielle. Hello. Oh, what a thrill. So good to see you. Thank you very much for uh, entering our neck of the woods. Welcome to your first ever uh, appearance on one of our live streams. How do you like our new yeah, digs? Yeah, it's I love it. I love it. This is great. Yeah, uh, not, nice to nice to finally put a put a face to the voice after all these interviews. But before we get into uh, me just peppering you for uns- free PR advice, as we often do when we have you <laughs> around here, I understand that you have a big announcement for us. Please share. I do. Wow, we got right to it. Like, we're not even going to, like, tease for a while. We're just going to say it. No, we really can't because all of my questions are going to be based off (laughs) your big announcement. So if you don't make the announcement, we're kind of up the creek here. That's fair. So I am releasing a new book. And it's my first book. Woo! (laughs) It's my first book in five years. I don't know how five years just went by, but it did. Well, we all know how this pandemic year just went by, but I digress. Um, yeah, so it's called The Ultimate Guide to Music Publicity because if anyone follows me and you know my company's called Cyber PR, I'm a very literal namer of things. Um, so that's it. That's the big announcement. It will be out the first week of June. We're in the final throes of indexing, and um, I'm really excited about it. This is so, so cool. I, I'm i always directing uh, clients and musicians and creators to stuff that you've written on blogs or to podcasts you've done. And so now to have everything just that's going to be like fully condensed and in one source, just all the great R.L. Hyatt music publicity advice in this book is so exciting. And I, I can tell you all, viewers and listeners... This book is awesome. Uh, Ariel was kind enough to let me have a sneak preview of the latest draft. It's really good, guys. I don't discount, like, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This is, it is indeed the ultimate guide. It is, it's so good, and I'm so excited for the artists that are going to benefit from it. Um, and before we get into some of the topics in this book, I have to tell a, just an amazing, hilarious, uh, and self-disparaging story, because those are always the best stories we tell around here, the ones that make me look bad. When Ariel sent me the, the uh, draft of this book about two or three weeks ago, Zach, you're going to like this, and asked me to give it a read, you know, let me know her thoughts, and if I would be so kind as to write a blurb for the book. Obviously, I am honored, and I am, I, I'd be thrilled to to. Uh, blurb Ariel Hyatt's book because especially knowing Ariel Hyatt the people that she's going to have blurbing this book and to be adjacent to like I'm sure all the awesome people that she knows that and like my name's going to be there that's cool on its own but she, you know so I read the book read it cover to cover you know and just just dug it so much learned a lot took notes it's just tremendous and so then I, I wrote a very thoughtful probably far too many words blurb uh, probably could have been an entire chapter in her book. I wrote a blurb that was so long, but, uh, but only because I was just, I just loved this book, Zach. And so anyway, uh, the night before this interview, she reaches out to me and, you know, you know, says, you know, thank you for the blurb. Um, and then says, uh, 
can you give me info? I, I don't remember how she phrases, but she said, can you give me information about your billing for this blurb? And I was taken aback by this because I was just like, but I don't want to be compensated for my blurb. I don't want to, you know, this, this is going to come from my heart. I don't want people to think I was biased or, or paid to give this. Like, I just want to let Ariel know, just, you know, uncompensated that I just want to give an unbiased perspective to her readers on this. And so I wrote back to her something along the lines of, you know, people, pay, people like get paid for blurbs. I had no idea. And then she wrote back and said something along the lines of, you're such a lawyer. I don't mean bill like, you know, to be billed for this. Like, I'm not, you're not going to bill me, Ryan. I meant billing. Like, how do you want to be billed on your blurb? How do you want to put your name on it? Like, what, how do you want to title your profession? Like Ryan Carella, entertainment lawyer. But she's absolutely right. I'm so much of a lawyer and focus on billing way too much in my day that somebody says billing. And my first thought is like, Oh, I'm going to have to get, I'm getting paid for what I did. And I, I, and, and so I was mortified. I felt so embarrassed. Of course, that's what Ariel Hyatt meant. Now, Zach, imagine how, how bad it would have been if my answer to that email wasn't, you know, something like, Oh, I didn't know I was going to get paid for this, but instead it was just like, yeah, send me a thousand dollars. Should be fine. Just uh, send that. You know, just invoice it. Yeah, just there you go. I'll, I'll send you a standard invoice. Uh, you need my, uh, you know, W two or something or ten ninety nine. Let me know. And, I mean, but like that could have been. But like that was already so awkward. Of course, that's what she meant. Okay, but great. in Ryan's defense, and to mock him simultaneously. So I've got the lawyer brain. And I've got the musician brain. And my lawyer brain at the beginning said, okay, he accidentally billed her too much. <laughs> but then as the story progressed, I went, I went, no, she's asking, like, what do you put on a marquee? The billing. The billing. And so so I started with you, Ryan, but I eventually, <laughs> before the, the story was over, I figured out where that train was headed, man. Well, so of course. I feel you. Because you 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 you're taking her side because you're a musician first. Like that's you know, that's obviously where your yeah. heart is. Like you have, you have you have the head of a lawyer, but the heart of a musician. So of course you're not going to take my side on this. All right, let's True. let's divert away from like the dumb things that Ryan thought about this book and turn to the far more important discussion of the book itself because this book honestly is so so good. And one of the things I like about it, Ariel, is like small chapters. I'm a big fat. I'm a big fan of more chapters in shorter spurts. Because mm. it makes me feel a sense of accomplishment, right? Because I'll, I'll burn through like five chapters in an hour and feel like, oh, I'm so smart. And really just the chapters weren't that long. But I think that makes sense for musicians to kind of group the topics up. But the way you start the book, before the very first chapter, you tell a story in your foreword where you talk about your first job in PR. And you, you tell us in the story, you actually quit that job after a few weeks which is shocking to me because I just figured Ariel Hyatt's first job in PR would end with her just owning that PR company. So, so how, how do you get, how do you wind up getting drummed out of your first job in PR? I figured you would just own that. Like what did that experience teach you? So much. So, <laughs> so much. My first job in PR was, it was in the fashion business. So it was not actually in music and my mother is a world, world-renowned, world-class career advisor. So I will precede that with this. And her advice, she, she knows me because, you know, she's my mom. She's, she said, you're an excellent communicator. I think publicity is going to be interesting for you. I was in, I was in uh, freshman in college. And at the time, she said, so what are you really passionate about? Because, you know, you could do publicity for anything. And I was really interested at the time in fashion. So I got an unpaid internship. I, the other thing I wanted to do desperately was live in London. I had, I had never been to London. I had always, I just had this, I was a real music fan and fashion. And, you know, that's where, like, Doc Martens came from. And that's where, like, like the sex pistols got dressed in London. Like all of that was interesting to me from a, from a rock and roll perspective. So I got an internship at, at a snobby, snobby, snobby fashion PR firm. And it taught me so many things. I would say the, the three main takeaways were 
were, were lessons that I actually took with me for the rest of my life and the rest of my career, but quitting. Yes. I, I even write this in the book. I'd never quit anything. It was only whatever, 19 at the time. I still have almost never quit anything. Henceforth, I've been in the music industry for 25 years. Um, I've actually been running my own company for 25 years. I've been in the industry for longer, but the quitting part was, was really incredibly painful, horrible at the time, like the most horrible thing. Um, I just couldn't stick it out. It was that unpleasant and that hard. So that was sort of the first lesson, um, which again, it took me years to actually realize as a service-based person. And I, I think all musicians and creators should understand it's actually all right to quit. Um, when something is untenable, unpleasant, torturing you, it's not okay to quit. Like, like there's a certain generation below me to get sort of a lot of flack for um, <laughs> quitting things a little bit too early. I don't mean quit because you don't like it after a week. I mean, like it, it sucks and it's hard and you've given it your all. Um, give yourself permission to quit because the universe abhors a vacuum. And when one door is closed, another will open. So that's sort of one lesson. That was like the biggest lesson that I took away from my horrific experience being tortured in London. They, they didn't like Americans and they didn't like young people. And the second lesson that leads me to the second lesson, which was understand the culture you're going into. I had, I knew nothing about, the British patriarchy mm. <laughs> and the antagonistic blood vibe. Like I didn't know anything about any of that coming from the United States where we are truly the land of opportunity and anyone can get anything if they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and people are, are equal. It's not that way in, in a lot of other older societies where people are looked upon differently for the families that they're born into. Um, so that was another enormous lesson. And whenever I speak globally, I always ask my host, like, okay, like culturally, what should I be aware of here before you step in it? And that's important, especially now we're on social media, we're on a global platform all the time. And it's interesting to be sensitive to, you know, what might be really highly offensive to others. I think a lesson I draw from that, in addition to the really terrific ones that you brought up that I think is particularly important for the indie creators out there, is think about who we're talking to right now, viewers and listeners. You know, Ariel Hyatt is, by any objective measure, going to be regarded as one of the most prominent publicists in independent music and just music generally. And so if Ariel Hyatt, in her first attempt at PR, it didn't go well and she stumbled and you know had to pivot and go in a different direction and now she's where she is today that probably means that you can take a few failures early on in your career and it's still okay and you can learn from them and you can learn more about yourself and it's still go on to achieve great success that is true and just very quickly the third one was and a really good one even though it sucked and it was hard, I learned the truth about doing excellent work. They, they weren't the number one fashion PR firm in London and probably in all of Europe at that time because they sucked at their jobs. They were excellent and impeccable at what they were delivering. And that is another, that's another lesson that even if your music is excellent, all the other pieces ha have to be sewn up if you're going to try to seek attention from other people. And what I learned at Lynn Franks Limited was it mattered how you tied the bow on the package. It mattered which way when someone took, took a piece of paper out of an envelope, which way it was going to be facing. It mattered how the paper in the box looked. All of those things, the devil was truly in the detail, and that's why they were so good at what they did. Well, I would like to take that packaging metaphor now into sort of what indie artists need to be doing to sort of package themselves online before they can really accomplish a successful PR campaign or album launch or just any big project. Your book talks about having, quote, a bulletproof online presence 
before you really start a major project, before you really do a big publicity campaign. I know that means a lot of things, you know, because your book has a very long list of what it means to have a bulletproof online presence. But can you sort of sum up what that idea means for artists in practice? Yes, the idea is just having excellent music, unfortunately, is not enough. And I think there's this, there's a lot of bad stuff that gets told to artists in the world. One of them, aside from hire a publicist, that's the first thing you should do. It's absolutely not. The second one is like, oh, the cream always rises to the top. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Um, I wish it did. I wish it was that simple. And I think when I started out 25 years ago, just having excellent music got you very, very, very much farther than it gets you today. Um, so why is it different for- now? Is just that the market's more saturated? The market is ridiculously saturated and social media has like destroyed any kind of like, you can't get away with as much anymore because now everybody's got one of these, right? And we're like immediately like coming for you and we want to see, you know, what are you doing on wherever the social media drug of choice we're feeding on that day is what is happening. And so the biggest crime you can commit for yourself is to not have put a lot of thought and energy and effort and time into what it looks like. You only have a few milliseconds to get their attention. And then the second thing they do, the moment you get it, is they look at their damn phone to find whatever it is they're looking for. It better be good, whatever mm. it is you put out there. Um, that makes a lot of uh, sense to me. And it, it, it creates a challenge. And so you really want to make sure that all the different pieces of your online presence are together before you kind of you know, the publicist, as you note in different ways throughout the book, is is a later step in the process. You probably get a lot of clients, Ariel, where they're coming to you as like the first step in the process. You know, maybe some maybe some guy has a daughter who's, you know, you know, really talented and doesn't have any songs yet, doesn't have a presence yet, hasn't really done anything, and they just sort of bring this artist to you and go, work your Ariel Hyatt magic. <laughs> and that's not really what you're in a position to do, right? You need to have something to work with. Totally. And I would also love to add that this book, I was so excited. This book is has so many contributors in it, including you, Ryan. You've got your highlight box. Um, I I asked so many people in the music PR community to contribute and tons of people that are on both sides of the desk actually did. So music publicists, um, people that wrote books, um, podcasters, bloggers, um, playlisters, they all shared their golden nuggets. And what just kept coming back over and over was we were all in agreement about, it was very funny, like, I wrote most of the book and then I asked the entire, there's a thing called the PR list, which is a bunch of music publicists, over 400 of us. We chat every day on a Google group. I said, if anyone wants to contribute, here's some ideas. I'd I'd love to have your thoughts around. I didn't even have to do, it was amazing. All these blurbs and quotes came back and I just inserted them directly under where I had already said the thing. Like there was like almost nothing that was, not what I was already writing about. So it was very vindicating and it was great to have like a huge community effort also say, these are the things and this is why. I dig that. Ariel, we had a listener ask a, a PR question. We're trying to get more listener questions into this because they tend to be better at writing questions than I am. Um, we had a listener ask for advice on getting their album reviewed. You know, there's a lot of blogs out there that will review your album, you know, write write some great perspective on it that you as an artist can then promote on your various social media and web sources. Do you have any advice for artists on how they can get reviews, perhaps how they can get connected to some of these bloggers? Sure, I do. I mean, that's basically what the entire book is about, but a, a very short, high-level version of this. If you're just starting out, I know the dream is to get on a very large music blog, probably one that starts with P and ends with K and because that's the one you know. <laughs> Um, but if, but the reality is today's pitchfork is yesterday's Rolling Stone. 
it's not easy to get on the biggest music blog in the world. Um, and just because that's the one you might read or you've heard of doesn't mean that you're ready for it. So my first piece of advice as far as getting reviews is start small. Or if you've already gotten some small, go medium. But going to the, the top 10 music blogs and expecting as a brand new artist with fewer than 10,000 in your following that you're going to get, I mean, you might, and you should try. Always shoot for the stars. But trying and then quitting is not a good idea if it's your first. So do your research. That's, that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say about that is a lot of artists put out albums still. Even though we're in a single-based world, there's a whole album or a whole EP, an entire body of work. Most music blogs, like 99.9%, do not review entire bodies of work. They review singles. So kind of understand that like you can't really send 14 songs to a busy music editor at a blog. They will be like, what? Like it, So you have to choose one. Um, so that's just another thing to be aware of. As much as you might want the entire album spoken of, you're probably going to be based in a singles world. Uh, yeah, and, go ahead. Um, yeah, use, there's a few tools. You can use Music Submit and Submit Hub. They're two pay-for-play um, platforms, but at least you're paying to get to get feedback. So use those. And these are platforms that, you know, unlike a lot of things out there in the music business where you pay for something that you might need, you know, whether, you know, that you think you might need, whether it's album reviews or like, you know, getting on a Spotify playlist or something, these are actually platforms that you, you know, would provide at least some level of support for, it sounds like. Totally. So, so on both, you're paying about a dollar per submission. It's not like pay me $300 and I'll put you on a shady Spotify playlist and get you a certain amount of plays. This is, this is a gig economy. We have to understand the people that write music blogs, most of the people that curate playlists, they're not getting paid for it. This is a labor of love. They do this after their day job, you know, to receive 50 cents to listen to, to something instead of receive no money and your inbox is flooded with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions. Just think of it as that. And that yeah. is all it is. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if you come, especially from the old school PR, I, I wanted to die the first time I heard about, you know, sort of paying for submissions. But then on the other side of the desk, when I'm talking to music bloggers who have 1,000 emails in their inbox and they have to somehow sort through 1,000 pitches, wouldn't it be nice to get paid 50 cents per pitch? That's 500 bucks to do what you love. It sounds like it at least culls the herd a bit, too. You know, it's because like, you know, even having that slight barrier of, you know, a dollar or 50 cents will at least shrink that that poor blog writers inbox to a manageable amount of submissions. And that's probably yeah, the real function that's being served there. It is. It is. And it's also I mean, it's really saying like it's so like, look, everybody's trying to make a penny here. That's literally what we're all making. Right. So um it's okay. Don't get don't don't let that be the thing that stops you mm. from trying to get a music review. That's stupid. And speaking of reaching out to publications, a section of your book that I really enjoyed, and not just because that was where I contributed a, a piece to that particular <laughs> to the book, uh, was the section about uh, pitching, right? And so I would imagine a big part of say reaching out to publications to get a review is having a good pitch, or reaching out to anybody to get anything is having a good pitch. And, you know, I was able to read in your book a lot of great perspectives from different people on how to reach out to somebody if you if you want something from them in the industry, especially if you don't have an existing relationship with them. Are there is there any good advice that you can remember from that chapter where you're like, ah, oh, that's definitely something where if you're going to pitch somebody, this is something you want to do uh, and maybe something that you shouldn't do? Absolutely. The first thing is know who you're pitching. I mean, Ryan, you probably see this all the time. People pitch me all the time for my podcast and they're like, please play this song on your podcast. And I'm like, okay, hello. Like in three seconds, three seconds is pretty much all it would take for you to realize I don't 
play music on my podcast. I interview people in the music industry. Like, it's pretty amazing. So in the desperation to be heard by as many people as possible, to get as many reviews as possible, a lot of shortcuts get taken, which are not understanding who you're pitching. Better to understand four or five targets, thoroughly research who they are, thoroughly research what kind of stuff they write about, decide before you send the pitch why you're actually reaching out, and don't bullshit the writer. They can see it. They can hear it. Everybody knows if you're copying and pasting the same sort of like, oh, I really like your blog. Really? What do you like about it? What specifically touched you or moved you or inspired you in some way? Why do you want to be included? Say that. Flattery will get you everywhere most of the time if you're doing it from a genuine place. So that's my golden nugget of pitching advice is like take the time to really get to know who you're pitching because you'll have to write so few pitches because you'll land them all the time as opposed to spinning your wheels and sort of doing a half-assed job every time. Zach, you've always been sort of a a pitching aficionado, a pitching appreciator to some respect because, you know, you work with Laura Allen before. I'm sure that you have made plenty of pitches in your day. I'm sure you've received a great many uh, number of pitches in in your day. Is is what Ariel is bringing up here sort of tracking with your own experience? Is there any sort of pitching advice that you think has really worked for you or has worked for people who've tried to pitch you? I would agree with everything Ariel said, not just because she's more knowledgeable than me, but because those things have worked out well for me in the past rather than, and I I think for musicians, time is money. Spend your time wisely. Don't scatter shot to a thousand people. Pick your five or four or five, like, like she said, and, and do that. Um, and also, if I can give a shout out to Ariel's uh, email list, her email list has like, when you're on, she will email you when you sign up. You get these tips just like daily. So it's fabulous. Good. In fact, I think one that went out today was about pitching. So I, what am I going to do? Just re- I could read her email on air, or you guys can just sign up. <laughs> Her, her email <laughs> list is phenomenal, guys. Um, I, I actually have thing, Zach. Like to your point, I, I love that you guys big up to Twitter at the beginning of this show. I was in the green room giggling. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, uh, a past president whose name we shall never mention again, hopefully ever, ruined the platform. However. <laughs> It was a place where, you know, great things were happening and people were meeting and connecting in 2008. I was about to say, how long ago were you using Twitter? No, but but here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say about that. I got to know Zach on Twitter only a couple of years ago, not in 2007 or 8. So you can still cut through the noise. You can still comment on other people's things and you can still become known to them by being very good at social media and understanding that that is currency. So it's not only about a great email pitch, it could also be about wanting to genuinely communicate with people while they're having conversations. And it doesn't have to be Twitter, it could be Facebook, it could be TikTok, it could be Instagram, you know, wherever you like to hang out. You don't have to be transactionally focused from the jump. You can, God forbid, actually just want to interact and have a conversation with somebody. And then if the mutually beneficial transaction emerges down the line, that's good. But, you know, it should be about building the relationship and networking for the sake of networking first. I mean, Zach and I met on Twitter and, you know, now we're, you know, best buds in the music biz uh, talking with Ariel Hyatt. So it's, uh, that's, that's absolutely the way to go. I, I wish there was more of that on Twitter. And, uh, I'm glad that you brought up those sort of email pitch bots that we see. And I get these all the time. They frustrate me. My podcast break the business is hosted on SoundCloud. And because it's on SoundCloud, I get all of these stupid bots from Love like people feet. being like, dude, I'm going to give you the sickest beats for your hip hop tracks. Because they're just spamming every right. SoundCloud profile. I was like, I got no hip hop tracks. For you. you know, I I don't need your sick beats. Um, and, yeah. and, and that's so frustrating because like that's that's not even somebody who's done even the the most rudimentary amount of background. That's just straight up spam. Right. And you know, right. 
And it, it ruins it for the artists who are genuinely trying to make a real connection. But the good news is for artists, as far as I'm concerned, is because there's so much garbage like that in an email that whenever I get the very occasional thoughtful written out email from somebody who's actually taken the time to learn about me, it just rises to the top and I'll almost always respond to them just because I'm so happy to get a real message from somebody. So I I think that's good advice for artists is like, if you actually try, because the bar is set so low from a communication standpoint in 2021, that if you just act like a real human being in an email or a tweet or a DM, you're going to probably get a response just because like somebody's going to be so shocked that you're actually trying to talk to them as a person. Yep. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, uh, check out the ultimate guide to music publicity. It's coming out in June. Guys, I'm telling you, look, looking right into the camera right now, this book is so good. You really want to get it. It's fabulous. And find out more about our guests work by visiting cyberprmusic.com. Ariel, before we let you go, one last question. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? It's been a hell of a year. It's been a brutal, horrible, sad, tragic year. And I think the best piece of advice I can give you is go easy on yourself. There, If we just made it through this year, that's something to celebrate. And I, I know social media does not make us feel better about ourselves. Let's, let's also be real about that for a minute. So like seeing, seeing things, whatever you're seeing and and comparing yourselves to other people that look like they're more, more productive or have gotten further during this absolute awful 14 months is probably not a great, an inspiring way to move yourself forward. So go easy on yourself. Be forgiving of yourself. Don't do the would have, could have, should have. I didn't, you know, now I'm actually hearing from a lot of artists that are like, I didn't get into the live streaming thing and now it's too late. It is never too late, no matter what, to get into anything. It isn't like it isn't. It just 10 million people could start podcasts and you could still, if you want to do it and you think that's the medium for you, do it. Um, and just whatever you do, like do it with consistency. The world wants to hear your music and needs to hear it and you will connect to the right people. But if you give up, you won't. Absolutely tremendous. Ariel, now that we are in this live streaming world, please don't be a stranger. We want to have you on anytime you want to be on because you you bring it every (laughs) single time. Um, If my own experience with writing a book serves as any indication, you're probably not going to want to write a book for a long time. So please don't wait until you write another book to come back. Just come back anytime you like. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks. And by the way, Ryan, your book is still one of my favorite music industry books that's ever been written. I love it. It's so great. Thank you so much, Zach. It was so great to hang out with you as well. He's got my book, too. No, it's awesome. Oh, my no. God. He's the best. Oh, Dude, and I, in real talk, I've read both of these. I love them both. Crowd Starts, one of my all-time favorites. Ariel, I can't wait to read your new book. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Ariel, hi to everybody. You can find out more about her work by going to cyberprmusic.com. And just just by checking out everything that she does, she's she's wonderful. Um, I I, I, I got to be one of her biggest fans just she's she's so so great um and i'm glad that she's a fan of yours zach because i think that's so well deserved and just and frankly i just like that all my friends like each other you know like sometimes sometimes like when you have different circles of friends and then you like have them over at your house at the same time and maybe they don't get along and and you know it's just awkward not this time like everyone got along and of course you guys are all awesome and, and you just played well together and that was an absolute treat Every time she comes on, I learn so much. Well, and like one thing you said about, and I can't wait to read their new book. The way I love that she, what she, the way she writes, especially in, in Crowdstart, which I've read a few times now, is she is so direct to the point. Just like we got in the interview, she will. If you have to ask her a question or if you're looking for an answer, she she'll give it to you. 
and she'll give it to you in a way that you can understand. Uh, so that's one thing I just really appreciate about her, and especially like her email list. Her emails are fabulous to check out every day. Um, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a lot of stuff Ariel does. It, it's really refreshing, and it's sort of the complete opposite of what most people experience with lawyers, because lawyers, we are trained. Our favorite phrase to give in any situation is "it depends." We are trained to waffle. We are trained to equivocate. We fear direct answers like the plague. And Ariel Hyatt's the complete opposite. She gives it to you straight. Uh, you know, doesn't mince words. And you're right; it does make for some really engaging prose because you feel like it's just like your smart friend telling you how it is, not BSing you like so many other folks in the mm-hmm. music industry are gonna do but not your friend Ariel Hyatt, who's going to tell you the straight talk and and just make for a really fun, engaging read. I, I, I'm excited for you to read this book, Zach. If you liked CrowdStart, you're going to really dig this piece of work. I have no doubt. Well, my thanks to you, Zach, for, for joining me this week. I, I love a, any time where I can get to talk to you for an extended period about the music business is already inherently fun, even if there aren't a bunch of people listening and watching and so the fact that I just get to do it with you on this program is an absolute treat. Thank you so much for doing this. Our thanks to Ariel Hyatt as well. And uh, you know, don't be a stranger as well, Zach. Always happy to have you on the show. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. And Ariel, thanks for taking time to let me ride on the coattails here and just be, be in the room. <laughs> yeah, check out Break the Business on Twitter at the BTB Podcast. You can check us out on Twitch. We're, we're trying to build that little Twitch community up twitch.tv slash break the business Zach where can they find you out in the world because I imagine there's gonna be a lot of people curious about the music that you're bringing to the table zacksloan.com is the best place just z-a-k-s-l-o-a-n that'll get you to all the places you need to go fabulous thank you all so much for checking out break the business we will see you next week